How many uh, of you guys have made a New Year's resolution this year? One. Good. All right. All right. Good. I like this group. I like this group. I can only think of maybe two times I ever tried to make an official, official New Year's resolution, you know, where you like, after Christmas and you're going into the new year and everybody's doing it or they say they're doing it and then you like make a decision to change your life somehow, but I'm assuming, since one person raised their hand on me, that you're all like me where you think it's a good idea, but if you're not convinced in your heart, you're probably not going to follow through. So what's the point anyway, right? It's a good idea. And maybe we'll try, but for me, if I ever follow through with a resolution, it's not because it's a New Year's resolution, but it's because it's something I've decided that it's really important that I really change this thing about my life, because I know things are going to be better for me after that. Now, has anybody had anything like that? Ooh, okay, it's more than one person raised their hand, very good. Good, yes, so you know that that's a success, right? It doesn't have to be called a New Year's resolution, but we've all, I'm sure we've all made some decision in our life at some point where we said, okay, I'm going to change now from doing this to doing this because it's better if I do this. So I know we're 25 days into the new year, so you've got some, you've got some leeway here, but I wondered if today we would make, we don't have to call it a New Year's resolution, although it's going to take up the whole year. But I wondered if today we, as a congregation, might make a resolution for something. And it has to do with, uh, if you take your bulletin, it has to do with your handy-dandy little insert there. I'm calling it Daily Bible Reading. We've been talking about it, and Pastor Gary talked about it just a few minutes ago. And we're uh, trying to read through the Bible in the next year and a half. And I wonder if today we would all make a decision to partner together to do this. Because I think that if we as a congregation, as a church here, as this part of the body of Christ, intentionally, corporately, and with a pen in our hands, read through the Bible, I think when we look back in a year and a half, when it's time to start again, I think we're going to be really surprised at how God has moved and worked and shaped and, uh, and, and poured himself out on us as a congregation. So now, you might say, oh, well, that sounds like a great idea. Sure, I'll do it. But again, if you're like me, if you're not convinced in your heart to do it, then it might, might happen for a few weeks, but then, you know, life comes in, and, and you, maybe you want to read in the morning, and then you got to get up super early for something, and unexpected things happen, you can't read in the morning. Or maybe you want to read at night, and by the time you get home, you're just too tired to read, you know, all that stuff that gets in the way of spending time in the Word of God, you know, that might come up and then it derails you and then you feel, well, I'm behind so I can't get back in. If you're not convinced in your heart that it's so important, then all that stuff can cause you to just fall off the boat, can just cause you to just give up on it. So what I want to do this morning, and it was actually from this last week's reading, so God definitely orchestrated this. I love how he does that sort of thing. Um, I want to convince you from God's word that doing this together, partnering together, uh, making commitment to read the Bible together as a congregation, I want to give you um, from scripture the benefits that God says that you can receive from it. And it's pretty cool. So look at, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. 
Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and um, this is interesting. Uh, Like I said, this is definitely a God thing because this isn't exactly the easiest section of Proverbs to, to, to make a sermon, to preach about. It's just very straightforward, and there's not, a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of necessarily depth to it. But in the context of what we're just about to begin, this new series, this reading through the Bible in a year and a half, this opportunity we have to together, come together, and read and learn God's Word together, I think this is just, it's so powerful and it's so perfect to have this, uh, this, this start us out on our journey. So I want to jump right down to verse 7. Proverbs, by the way, is the most practical book in the entire Bible. It is from from verse 1 to the end of chapter 31. It is just how to live well for the Lord. There's not a bunch of stories that you have to figure out what's going on. Lessons there, there's not a bunch of, uh, there's not like, Paul with lots of deep theology going on. There is just, here is so many different things you can do to honor God in your life. It's amazing. And that's one reason why, as we read through the Bible in a year and a half, we're going to read Proverbs over and over and over again. If you master Psalms and Proverbs, I mean, you're way ahead of the game. The other stuff, um, which is just as equally important, um, it, it just flows from Psalms and Proverbs. Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament, um, over anything else um, from the old, uh, the writers in the New Testament quoted the book of Psalms. So I'm excited for this. But uh, jump down to verse 7, and, and verse 7 is the thesis statement for the book. So um, in school they teach you if you're writing a paper or if you're, ha- you're going to give a speech or something, you want to make sure that your thesis statement, the problem you're trying to solve, the, the point of whatever you're writing or saying, it's supposed to be clear. And here it's um, perfectly clear what Proverbs, and I'm going to just expand that to the whole (laughs) rest of the Bible, is all about. Uh, Verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Just Just take that half of the verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So let's just talk about for a second what those two, uh, what, what, what that means, the fear of the Lord and the beginning of knowledge, what uh, Solomon is saying here. So if you read it and you've never thought about it before, maybe you, the first time you read it, you think, okay, the fear of the Lord. So that means the paralyzing, um, incapacitating terror that most people, when they came into the presence of God, felt. Right? How many times in the Old Testament did the angel of the Lord come or did God come to somebody and they just fell right on their face instantly because they were just so afraid. When Isaiah um, enters into the throne room of God, he, can't, he can barely move and God asks a question and he wants to speak and it's so hard and he finally utters these words, but just being in the presence of God is just utterly terrifying to him. That's not exactly what Solomon wants to portray here. He, what he's saying here, the fear of the Lord, isn't that sort of uh, paralyzing terror where you can't move and all you want to do is maybe just get further away. What Solomon's talking about here is a healthy, reverential respect that instead of dr- uh, keeping us, driving us away from God, brings us closer to God. You see, God is about 
um, dealing with sin, and he's all about holiness and perfection and all that stuff, and he's about taking you and I and bringing us closer to him. And the way he has to do that is he has to take care of our sin, obviously, which we know, and that is terrifying. And so we should have a healthy respect for the power of God and what he can do. But rather than that causing us to run away from him, being able to trust in the fact that God has our best interest in mind should bring us closer to him. That's the idea, the sense that Solomon's portraying here in the, in the fear of the Lord. Now, he says the fear of the Lord, so that healthy reverential respect that we're supposed to have for God that draws us to him is the beginning of knowledge. So consider this. I'm going to make a, maybe a bold statement here, an all-inclusive universal statement. And, uh, and if you want to talk about it afterwards, we definitely can. But I think this is absolutely true. For every human being, the Christians that are here today, the Christians around the world, and the non-Christians, anybody who, who says there is no God or, or whatever, wherever you stand, consider that your relationship with God, whether you have one or not, is the lens through which you see the world and understand what's going on. Where you stand with God determines how you understand your role and what this life means. I think that's absolutely true, and I, that's the idea that Solomon is portraying here. The beginning of knowledge. So just like if you, so I don't know if, if you ever did trigonometry or geometry or calculus or any sort of, I don't know what goes higher. I'm sure there's higher stuff, higher math stuff. I wasn't the math guy. But you can't perform any sort of higher math functions without the absolute basic principles that you learn in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, right? You can't do any sort of higher math without knowing what one means and what two means and that one plus two equals three and that one and one always makes two. You can't do anything greater without knowing the basics and using the basics every single time. And that's the same, when, uh, that's the same with our knowledge of what's going on in this world. And that's what Solomon is saying. The healthy rever reverential respect that we are to have for God is the foundation of how we know anything in this world. Now, we're gonna get to why this is a great resolution to have in a second, but I just have to lay this down first. Not to say that if you don't know God, you can't know anything, but think about it. If you don't know God, and you are diagnosed with cancer, and you're on your deathbed, you might not have any idea what's coming next. You might not have any hope. You might not, all you might have is you might just be sitting there thinking, well, this is the end, I have nothing left. You see, the knowledge that, that Solomon's talking about is this ultimate knowledge of reality. What's really going on in this world? When you see suffering, when you see loss, when you see brokenness, if you have a healthy reverential respect of the Lord which brings you closer to him. If you have a relationship with God, basically is what I'm trying to say, and I think what Solomon's trying to say, if you have that, then you can make sense, some sense, at least, of the things that are going on around us. And that is knowledge that people who have no relationship with God simply do not possess. And I think if we're honest, that's knowledge that we would all want to know. We all want to know, what is the point of all this? Why does this matter? Is this good for anything? Am I making an impact? Do I matter? Do my relationships matter? Without the fear of the Lord, 
you really can't answer those questions. So, with that as the basis, here's why if you today, I'm, I'm challenging you today to partner with us for reading the Bible all the way through in a year and a half with us, faithfully, each week, the best that you can. Because I believe that the closer you grow to God, and I think this is, I believe this is what Solomon's saying here when he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I believe that Solomon's saying the closer you grow to the Lord, the greater in knowledge you'll grow. He's going to give five benefits, and we're going to go through the rest of the verses, uh, two through six. Five benefits, five reasons why growing closer to the, the Lord is going to help you increase in your knowledge. Not just head knowledge that, oh, I know what's going on, but heart knowledge. So, oh, now I know. Now I know how I should act in this situation. Now I know what this means when this happens to me. Now I know how I can trust in the Lord. Now I know when, it's, when I need to rely on God more. Now I know that I need to get closer to the Lord. These things that I think as Christians we all would want to know. We want to have a deeper understanding of. Well, Solomon's going to spell out exactly how the fear of the Lord, and the more you grow in that, the closer you get to God, how that increases your knowledge of what ultimate reality is, of what's really going on in this world. And it's going to better your life. Now, that sounds like a New Year's resolution, right? Something in the beginning on day one, you'd say, yeah. And then 25 days in, you'd say, oh, that was good then. But I think if you're convinced in your heart that you need to grow closer to the Lord, and because he can increase your knowledge, because he can increase, um, he can increase your ability to serve him, then I think you might be convinced to go on this journey with us. But let me give you the five benefits in case you're not convinced yet. Because you might not be. Verse 2 says, uh, well, let me just actually lay out these five. I'm calling it the five twos, T-O, the five twos. So in verse 2 it says to know and to perceive. So that's two. In verse 3 it says to receive. In verse 4 it says to give. And in verse 6 it says to understand. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and as you grow closer to God, here's the, out, here's the benefits of it. The first one in verse 2 is to know wisdom and instruction. The word wisdom there um, is, should be translated skill. So whatever job you have, uh, whatever year in school you're in, you need basic skills to do well in that, in that job, in your school, right? And... The fear of the Lord is going to help you enhance, should help you enhance those practical skills. If you're a plumber, you need to know how to do the job, and you need to know how to do it well for the Lord. If you're a student, you need to know how to pass your classes, and you need to know how to do it well for the Lord. If you're a pastor, then you need to know how to do that well for the Lord, right? Whatever you might be, business owner, stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever you might be, retired, whatever you might be, you need to know how to do that well for the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, which is the growing in our relationship with him, the first thing it helps us to do is to know how to grow in our skills and in our understanding. Basically, we would understand what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Now, if you could apply that to any situation, wouldn't that just alleviate all the stress in your life? All the situations you face, if I know how to do, how to, what I should do, how I should do it, and when I should do it, wouldn't that just help? <laughs> I mean, that would help me. 
I know I should end it right now because if it goes too long, nobody's going to listen, right? We're only, we're only 10 minutes in, we're good. Uh, think of it like a recipe. That recipe that you know how to cook, you don't have to look up any, you don't have to look it up at all. You don't have to ever read that card again. You know exactly what to buy, you know exactly how much of everything it takes, and it always comes out perfectly every time. That's what God's word can do for you if you are every day spending time in it. And that's how you can grow closer to the Lord. That's how the fear of the Lord in your life can lead to greater and greater knowledge. So that's the first thing. The second thing in verse two is to perceive the words of understanding. You're gonna notice, and you might see it already, that these words are pretty synonymous. They go together. They almost all, all mean the exact same thing, yet there's a little bit of different, uh, there's a different spin on each idea here. So I'm gonna try and pull those out. But to perceive words of understanding. Perceive, um, I just started by looking up what these words mean in Webster's Dictionary, right? So to perceive means to attain, um, so, or to, to get, to get something. We just had Christmas, so if you were given a Christmas gift, you attained it. It was given to you, and, and you got it. And so it's yours now. Uh, so to perceive is to attain or get awareness of what's going on. Essentially, what Solomon's saying here is to perceive the words of understanding means to be able to read between the lines. What a great skill to have if you can read between the lines um, in the situation you're in or what people, with what people are saying to you or with what God is saying through his word. Sometimes we get confused. We're trying to read it and we don't understand, but we need to, understand, we need to see how we can read between the lines, know exactly what God is saying. I mean, that is a benefit that can come from spending your next year and a half consistently with a pen in hand and deliberately reading God's word. It will grow in your life. Third thing in verse three is to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Receive is similar to perceive, but I found a really interesting definition that I thought... um, just added something to this. So receive obviously means to come into possession of or attain, right, like perceived did. But then Webster's also said that it could also be defined as to be a container for. I thought that was really interesting to think about. To receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, you could read it as to be a container for those things. To possess them that, so much that they fill you up and you're full, like a Tupperware filled or a cup filled with water, you are full of those things. So when someone looks at you, looks at your cup, that's what they see. They see you're full of those things. And wisdom, again, means skill. The skill in how to do my job, the skill in how to, um, how to navigate the situation I'm in. Justice, judgment, and equity is all about righteousness, fairness, and justice. Legal terms. Legal terms that God uses when he talks about our salvation in regards to Jesus Christ. Right, Jesus Christ was righteous. He obeyed the law, kept it perfectly. And then he died, and he, he didn't deserve to die at all. And God looked at Jesus' righteousness, and Jesus said, I will freely give all that perfection to anyone who wants it. Any sinner who needs to be cleansed can have that. And so God, through legal means, took Jesus' righteousness. And if you're a Christian here today, you're wearing that righteousness right now. So when he looks at you this morning, he doesn't see a broken sinner he sees a redeemed child of God. 
And those, are those things, those things that God did for us and that Jesus did, living righteously, being just and fair in all things, we're supposed to fill our lives up with that. And you can do that. It's easy to say we should do it. It's hard to put it into practice. But the more you are uh, engaged in the word of God and the more time you spend reading his word and getting closer to him and the more you grow your fear of him and your knowledge of him, those things begin to fill you up more and more so that your first reaction to a situation isn't um, how can I, how can I, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Your first reaction would be justice, fairness, and righteousness rather than trying to beat someone down because they made you feel bad about yourself. That's what we're supposed to be filling our lives with. The fourth thing is to give. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So after you've received and filled up your life with these good things, justice, judgment, righteousness, equity, wisdom, the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, after you've filled yourself up with that, then you are called to give it to someone else. To not just let it sit in your container and put a lid on it and put it in their fridge until, you know, until it's moldy and then you've got to get it out and get rid of it again but to actually take it and do something with it. And he's specific when he says, give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Basically, what he's saying is those who don't know, those who are younger than you, those who don't have as much wisdom as you, those who don't have as much life experience as you, you're supposed to take what you've learned and give it to them. So parents, you've got kids every day with you. So that's easy. But if you don't have kids, if you're not a parent then it's your job to find out who is in your life that you have influence with. Who would be someone that would listen to you? Who looks up to you? And who are you supposed to be sharing all that stuff you filled up yourself up with for the Lord? Who are you supposed to be giving that out to? Because we're not just supposed to keep it inside. We're supposed to give it out. And then verse 5, he kind of takes a break and he says, um, let me just paint this all in a little bit of a different light and tell you exactly what this wise person looks like. A wise person will hear an increase in learning. So they're going to hear what God says. They're going to hear what the word of the Lord says. And they're going to continue to try to learn more and more about what it says. And it says, a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So basically, this person is someone who never thinks, I know everything I need to know about everything, and I can't wait to share it with everybody. They're the person who says, God has shown me so much how can I help someone else who's struggling with what, with, with what he's trying to show them? It's this attitude of humility that if you read through the Bible with us for a year and a half and then for the next year and a half and the next year and a half for as long as we continue to do this, this humility will develop as you grow closer to the Lord in your um, healthy reverential respect for him. And then finally in verse 6, it's the last thing it says, to understand. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. So if you read through Proverbs, it's a bunch of Proverbs. Um, back in those days, the learned, wise rabbis might speak in riddles, might speak in hard sayings. Um, the wise men of the time, of course, um, they might say something that, you know, if you're the farmer who's walking up and hearing them, you might be like, what on earth are you talking about? So Solomon's talking to something um, specific in his day, but I think the, uh, the principle can still easily be applied to our day. You might face a situation that you have 
no understanding of how you should, how you're going to ever get through it. You might read something in God's word that makes no sense to you, that you don't understand. You might face something that seems impossible. And I believe that the closer you are to the Lord, the greater your fear of the Lord and the greater your knowledge that he gives you, the, more that you, the, 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 the greater your wisdom and instruction, your understanding, your justice, judgment, and equity, all this stuff, I believe the closer you are to God, the more peace you can have in a situation like that. The more clarity you can have in a situation like that. The more knowledge of how you can navigate a situation like that. I think you can have that. Because God just doesn't say, come close to me just so you can be close to me, but come close to me so that you can become more like me, more like my son Jesus, more righteous, more holy, more gracious, more just, more fair. Come closer to me so you know how to represent me in this broken, fallen world. So you might not be faced with a direct riddle or a proverb like, um, the Israelites back in this time would have been. But life certainly throws those things at us, doesn't it? So God says, the closer you are to me, the better you'll be able to handle anything that you don't understand. And we go through things we don't understand. And it doesn't mean you're going to get the answer now, and it doesn't mean you'll know the exact answer any time during what's going on, but if you can rest in God, then when we do get to go to heaven... Maybe then, you know, then we can get the answer. So, I just want to go back to the last part of verse 7. And just want you to look at this, because I think it's interesting. So he spends six verses, well, six and a half verses, building up the power of Proverbs, and I think the power of the whole word of God, and what it can give you. And it's based on the fact that, first of all, you have to have a relationship with the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and that's going to um, help grow your knowledge of what's really going on in this life. And then the, he has one phrase that, can, that just tears the whole thing down. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool is the person who doesn't care to know. Not just, it's not, doesn't want to know, just doesn't care to know. The person who says, well, maybe that's true, but that's not for me. The fool despise, the fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's a warning. Be careful. Search your heart. Are you interested in growing in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord? If you are, then I encourage you to take this challenge and to partner with us and to read through the Bible with us. And if you're not, then maybe it's a symptom of a deeper problem. And maybe God's trying to get your attention this morning saying, listen, maybe it's time to commit to being wise instead of being foolish. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you're a God who wants to bring us close and not drive us away. And Father, I pray that um, as we start out this new series, this journey through your word, Father, that we would all be convinced in our hearts that this is what we need to do to honor you and to grow in our lives and in our relationship with you. Father, I pray we'd become a, 
a church that is so well-versed in scripture that no matter what comes against us, we can speak to it. We can always offer your words of comfort and hope in all situations. And Father, we would grow together uh, through the power of your word. I pray, Father, that if there's any one here who has never made that relationship with you true in their lives, I pray, Father, that you would today, right now, save them. Father, show them their need and help them to turn to you because, Father, you want this for all your children and it first starts with being in relationship with you. Father, thank you that you love us and thank you for your word in your name. Amen.